0: The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, church, let's take our Bibles and find our place in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're visiting with us today for the first time and maybe not uh, that familiar with uh, the Scripture, there is a Bible in the pew back right in front of you. And if you'll just open that up, it's just like many other books. It has a table of contents in the first few pages. And oh, children's church. All right. Children, you're dismissed. Meet your children's church worker in the back. Always forget that. All right. And uh, if, you're, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Scripture, there's a table of contents right there. First few pages, you can find it. Uh, Generally, in my Bible, if you let your Bible kind of fall open into the middle somewhere, uh, just look to the left or the right a little bit, you should run run across it. And uh, so the big numbers are the chapters and the smaller numbers are the verses. And today we'll pick up again in Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. And so, uh, wonderful music today. I, you know, and I, you know, I just love being at a church where the Lord works in the Spirit. I was right down here listening to that last song, and before Jamie started speaking, in my mind, I was thinking, you know what? I just want to address the people that are here from that song. And I know some of you are visiting Mom today. In fact, I know some of you might be here today visiting Mom. You don't want to be at church. You don't like coming to church. But Mom said, if you love me, get a church. And uh, I just want to let you know that we're glad that you're here. That you're a part of what we're doing. And we want you to know. We want everybody here today to know that uh, there's nothing, uh, nothing horribly special about us. We're not perfect people. Our feet are made of clay, just like yours. About the only difference is we have come to find that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of all those put their faith and trust in Him, and He has washed our sins away, and uh, he is, He's paid for those on the cross. And we live a new life with a new heart. And we welcome you today. And we want you to know that God is here, that He has open arms, and He welcomes you. And that means though, that you'll have to lay down the weapons of warfare, of pride and anger and your own way, and that means that you'll have to listen to the Scripture and bow your knees before Jesus and receive Him. But He has an open arm and an open heart, and God loves you today, and He wants you to be one of His children by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll begin. Father God, we thank You again just for a wonderful day in the Lord's house, wonderful Mother's Day. We thank You for all of our moms that are here. We thank You for every mother figure that is in this room. And uh, Lord, we, we know that that is the design of Scripture. And so we honor that. And at the same time, we want to recognize today that there are many people here who are hurting. And uh, it's everything they could do to get up and come on a Mother's Day. And their hearts are heavy and there might be somebody here today that's lost a mom recently now, there might be somebody here today who is uh, has gone recently through a divorce maybe there's a single mom that's raising children doesn't know how to make heads or tails of life and we just want to welcome all those people into your presence and ask that the sweet spirit of god would do a miracle of love and kindness that you'd show us where we're wrong And that You'd point us to the cross of Jesus. That we would lay down all of our weapons. And that we would humbly receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray today that You'd help us from Your Holy Word. That is inerrant and inspired. It is the very words of God. Father, I pray that You'd help me to preach clearly. And I pray that You'd help us all to listen carefully. And I pray that You would be honored and glorified and we would be changed into the image of Your dear Son this day. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you know, uh, on this Mother's Day, I would just simply say that uh, whether you're a mom here today or not, or whether you're a young man, or wherever your lot in life is, whoever you are, probably at some point in your life, you got some uh, practical motherly words of wisdom somewhere along the line. Uh, you know, make sure and wash your hands after you use the bathroom. Uh, maybe it was, uh, you know, maybe it was to make sure and separate your laundry into darks and whites so you don't make your underwear red. I don't know what it is, but along the line, probably everybody in here has gotten some motherly practical words of wisdom. When you find your place in the book of Ecclesiastes, you are reading the only book in the Bible that was written by a man who didn't listen to the wisdom of his mom. Did you know that? Yeah. In fact, if you were to read Proverbs chapter 30 and chapter 31, you would find that his mom gives him wisdom on how to find a godly wife. And you know what Solomon did? He went over and married 700 women. What kind of goofball is that? Well, I want to tell you today that Solomon, or whoever it is in this passage that's writing these things, certainly has the appearance of Solomon. He has all the money, he is a king, he has all of this ability, there's nothing that holds him back, and he has lived life, and kind of like I told you the other week, for our younger crowd, I said it's as if Jay-Z is uh, writing this book to us, he's lived life, done everything, been everywhere under the sun, and has come back and said, none of that will satisfy, the only thing that you need is Jesus the other week when I said that, I could see some of you looking like jay Zuhu? So Frank Sinatra did it his way, alright, for the rest of you. And you know, somebody told me after that sermon the other week, they said, you know, that Frank Sinatra, at the end of his life, said that he would give all of his fortune to live one more year. And if Frank Sinatra could come to the end of life and realize that there is nothing under the sun that is done apart from God that brings mercy and grace and goodness and eternal life, then I think all of us should pay attention today and realize that we need Jesus. Amen, church? We need God's grace, God's mercy. Chapter 2, we're going to just kind of cover this in a broad way, and I'll just get teach down through it as far as I can, but um, Solomon in this passage basically gives us about four pieces of practical advice, much like your mom would give to you. And so, I'm just going to kind of give it to you. It comes in the form of a warning. And so in the first three verses, you would see that Solomon warns here, and he says, listen, if you spend your life seeking after pleasure and joy and enjoyment, it's all going to be for naught. Look what he says in verse 1-3. through I said to myself, self, right? I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure. It's almost a word here for sensuality. It is uh, this kind of pleasure pleasure that is no holds bar and it doesn't hold back and I'm going to just take what I want from life for enjoyment. I said to myself, come now and I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself and watch the repeating words here. And behold, it too, the seeking after pleasure was futility, it's meaningless, it's vexation. And I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? And I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guided me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could come and see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven these few years of their lives. Brothers and sisters and all that are here today, the very first practical thing that he says is, if you spend your life looking and seeking, and all you want to do is find satisfaction in pleasure, in enjoyment, in, getting the, in straining all that you can out of life, you're going to die in your sins and go to an eternal hell, and all of it is futility. And yet, probably under the sound of my voice, there are people in this room who would rather be skiing on the water somewhere, and you can't wait for football season to get here, and you spend your life going from one point of myrrh to another point of myrrh, one enjoyment to another, seeking for pleasure all of your life, Finding it in a, some video game somewhere. Finding it in a television show. Finding it in something that you do or somewhere you've been. Some of you want to be world travelers. And I'm just telling you that if you continue down that path of always looking for pleasure to bring some sort of satisfaction and a deep soul accomplishment, it will always fail you. You know about pleasure, right? I mean, the the problem with pleasure is a few. First of all, if you spend your life seeking for pleasure alone outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, God is not an eternal killjoy, okay? God loves fun. God invented fun. God loves laughter. But if you spend your life and all you want to do is find pleasure, you'll fail. Why? Well, first of all, you'll seek out pleasure in a selfish way. And you know what you'll do? You'll end up destroying the relationships in your life to get one more high of the pleasure that you so desire. You'll run your wife into the ground and run her crazy trying to wear all the makeup and lose all the weight and be the greatest person she can possibly be because you spend all of your time looking on a computer screen at something that has been airbrushed and it is not reality and it is the wickedness birthed out of hell. Then you'll force all of that all into your wife and she'll never live up. And out of selfishness, you'll seek that pleasure. Some of you will uh, want your parents to provide everything for you. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with saying, I, I want to play the guitar, and then they get you a guitar. And I know that, you know, sometimes the way it is, you, you get that guitar, and, you know, two or three weeks later, you're like, yeah, I don't want to be a guitarist. I want to be this. And mom and dad are dumping money and dumping money and dumping money into every pursuit of life. Now, listen, some of that's the normal process of life. I get that. But I just want to say, both to our young people and to our parents that are in the room today, if you spend your life, Dumping your money and your time into every pleasure pursuit of life, you'll end up being selfish to your parents and selfish to your siblings. Not only that, but it's not just that seeking pleasure alone is selfishness, it is that it always, it never provides the return that you want. Now, I know, I, I've not always been a preacher. You know that, right? I, uh, I've gone down some roads that I wish I hadn't gone down to. Just talk to a college student one time and ask them if they can drink the same amount of alcohol every single weekend and get the same buzz. you got to keep drinking more and more and more and more to get less and less and less and less of the fun that you want out of. Not only is it selfish and not only is the pursuit of pleasure endlessly growing colder and endlessly going down some tube that you're seeking to get enjoyment out of and never constrain enough out of, you weren't designed to seek pleasure. You were designed to seek the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And whatever individual pleasure it is that you're trying to make the most of out of life, it might be a game, it might be a relationship, it might be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it might be anything else, but all that pleasure will ever do is satisfy one small slice of the pie in your life. And the only pleasure that will ever encompass the entire human being and provide for you is the pursuit of Jesus Christ alone. He gives a second word of advice in verse 4 down through verse number 11. That is, not only does he say, don't pursue enjoyment or don't pursue pleasure without Christ, he says, don't pursue employment or work. And that hits us all right between the eyes. Look what he says here in verse 4 through 11. I enlarged my works. I built houses and I'll notice you want to highlight and underline how many times he uses this first person pronoun here this myself this I he says I enlarged my works I built my houses for myself I planted vineyards for myself I made gardens and parks for myself and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees and I made ponds of waters for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees and I bought male and female slaves. So now he's not only done works, he owns the workers. And I have home-born slaves. Also, I possess flocks and herds that are larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces and I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men and all of these concubines. and Then I became great and I increased in them. All who preceded me in Jerusalem and my wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all of my labor. Look at verse number 11. Put your eyes. Here's the point of the text. Look at verse 11. Thus I considered all of my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all of it was vanity and striving after wind. It's the word here that means to grasp after smoke. Right? Right? Like a puff of smoke. Or maybe like somebody blows bubbles You know, and you reach out and grab a bubble and even if you pop the bubble, all you've got is air and a little bit of residue on your hand. I had exerted and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was no profit under the sun. Now you might be here this morning and you might be saying, well, I'm not pursuing after pleasure, Pastor. I'm not pursuing after all of that enjoyment. But I know... That there are some people in this room today that you find your identity and your value and your worth in what it is that you do for a living. You say, Steve, how could you possibly make that kind of categorical statement? Because I'm guilty. What? You don't think that's the way it is? What's the second question you ask everybody that you meet? Hi, what's your name? Steve, what do you do? When's the last time you talked to somebody, a stranger, and you said, "Hey, what's your name?" And they said, "My name is uh, Roy Orbison." And they said, and then you said, uh, "Who are you? What gives you value and meaning in life?" No. Whenever you ask somebody, you always say, what do you do? You know why? Because intrinsically inside, built into you is the sin nature that believes that your identity is tied to what it is that you do instead of your identity being tied to who you are as a person. Alright, all my theologians in here like to read. Let me just give you this. The rest of you check out for a second. So when you read the New Testament, almost every time you read the New Testament, this is the way it always appears. The indicative... And then the imperative. You say, what in the world does that mean? The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and James and John and all of them, they always tell you first who you are already in Christ. What He has done for you. What He has given you. What He has provided for you. And who you are as a person. And then He says, now go and do and what do we do? We turn all of that on its head and we tell people, go out and do this and do that and do great works and build ponds and build forests and build all of this stuff and have things named after you and statues and monuments and all of these things and you'll be somebody. And I want to say to you this guy writes to us after a lifetime of trying to do that and he says, I've been there and done that and I own the t shirt and you'll fail. And there are people right here in this room, in your line of work, you are seeking and investing all of the value of who you are as a person into the accomplishments of your job. And What are you going to do when you lose it? And I want to say to you, the warning in this passage is don't sink all of your effort into pleasure and don't sink all of your effort into the job that you do Look to Christ and find your identity and value and worth in what Jesus has done for you. He has raised you from death to life. He has translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. He has made you a risen believer in Jesus and that's what gives you value. Now I want to speak for a moment to all of our young ladies that are in here today. I'm telling you something, your value is not in what some perverted 20-year-old thinks of you. Your value is that you are the child of the living King of heaven. Amen. And you tell them to get lost. Your value is in Christ. What's the third thing? He says, "Look, don't pursue pleasure and don't pursue work. And then in verse 12, I won't read all of this, but verse 12 down to verse number uh, 17. He basically here is saying, don't invest everything in intellect or in human wisdom. Look at what he says here. Maybe uh, verse 12 he says, so I turn to consider. It's like basically saying, look, okay, I tried another avenue. Madness and folly. right? Considered wisdom, madness and folly. For what will the man do who will come after the king except what has already been done? And I saw the wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. He sees that wisdom is better than being stupid, right? Sorry, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Verse 15, Then I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will befall me. Hey, look, yes, of course, being wise is always better than being a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is always better to learn skill and wisdom than it is to be a fool. But in the light of death that comes knocking at every human door, if you invest everything you have in becoming a skillful, wisdom-filled person, but you do all of that by yourself instead of submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, your end is the same as the fool. And in fact, how foolish are you if you pursue wisdom all of your life and you always want to just be a smarter, better, more intellectual person and you die smart and go to hell. And can I say, that applies to every person here. I don't know whether you're lost and even if you're a believer in here today. Man, I've run across some people sometimes and they could, I mean, they flat know Bible trivia like it's nobody's business, right? You play Bible trivia with them, they know how many kings were in the northern ten tribes. They know how many kings were in the southern ten tribes. They know who Moses' third double cousin was. They know all of that, but they don't live for Jesus. And in fact, if you scrape across the crust of their life, you'd find that they're mean and crotchety and sorry and angry and gossipy, and they don't live for Jesus, but they know everything. Now listen, everyone in this room is going to die. So don't spend your entire life... And look, God is behind education. Education. God is the author of intellectuality. God doesn't want you just to just be some sort of goober, check your mind at the door, Christian. Don't explain it, just believe it. God doesn't want it. There is no such thing in the Bible as some sort of blind leap into, into faith. No. Faith is always predicated on the knowledge that God gives in the Word. And God wants you to study to show yourself approved unto God, a Wordman that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the Word of truth. God wants you to use your wisdom and intellect, but he wants it to be submitted to him. And if all you ever want to do is be a smarter person, you'll end up just like the fool. Uh, last few verses. Let me hit this last one. Right, Don't dump all of your eggs into pleasure, into uh, work, into wisdom. And here's one that kind of hits us all right between the teeth. Into wealth. Look what he says down here in verse number 18. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Right? And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruits of my labor for which I have labored by um, acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. I was uh, riding on the plane at a, uh, over to Slovenia. We had to, to get to Zurich. About an eight-hour flight. And so I'm watching these some documentary. And it was a documentary on comedians. And this guy just went on a tirade behind the scenes. And he was saying that Now, whoever said whoever said that money doesn't bring happiness is a, hey, that's a fool. They don't know what they're talking about. Money always brings happiness. And you know something? I've even heard people play around before. I've even played around before myself and said, I know that money doesn't bring happiness, but I'd like to give it a try. Right? Even when I say that, do you know what is latent underneath those thoughts? There's a hesitation that maybe God is wrong and he's held himself back. And I really would like to just try. Maybe if I had just enough money, if I could do just enough of what I want, if I could just have what I felt like I needed for security in the bank, I'd be okay. The author of Scripture comes by and says, listen, if you pursue wealth all of your life, you'll end up broke spiritually. You know the problem with wealth is you don't get to keep it when you die. You've heard that old statement, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Right? You don't get to keep it when you die. Not only, without, not only that, but you can't even protect it in your lifetime. How many people, when the stock market crashed in 2008, how many people were devastated Not only financially, but they were devastated emotionally and spiritually because what they had vested in wealth. I want to tell you on the authority of Scripture if you spend your life, I just need a little more. I just need that next promotion. I just need more in the bank. I just need this. If I can just get that, if I can just get. You know, there are some believers that won't tithe, they won't give to a church, they won't give to missions, and the the thought process is, I can't afford it if I just get just wait just a little longer, if I just get a little better, when I retire, when I do this, when I do this, when I do this, and they spend all their lifetime looking and seeking for an aberration that isn't really there. Don't be that kind of person. The warning in the passage is, don't spend the heart life saying, I need the money. Look at the last few verses and we'll we'll close for this morning. This is important. Look at at 24 through 26, but really focus your attention on verse 25. You don't get anything else today. Here's the key, right? There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Now look, that's not the same philosophy as uh, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, this also I have seen, that it is from the hand of the living God. All of these things. For who can eat? Here it is. For who can eat? And who can have enjoyment without Him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given to the task of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after win. Brothers and sisters and friends, those of you that are here with us today, maybe for the first time and you're still trying to process and take everything in that I'm saying, I, I want you to understand that what God is teaching in the Scripture here is not that God is against everything, but do you not see, I mean, member and visitor alike, believer and person that is as far away from God as you can, can you not see how, 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 how countercultural this passage is to everything the world around you teaches? Everything around you says, seek fun for tomorrow you die. Live it up. God comes along and says, don't worry about all of that. Pursue Me. Jesus told His disciples, don't rejoice that you've done all of this. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Our joy is not in our pleasures. Our joy is in what Jesus has done for us. The world around us says, work like a dog. Spend those 60 hours a week. Give everything you've got. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are as what you do. And Jesus comes along and says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Whether I have the best job in the world or I am on rock bottom and eating at a rescue mission, my identity is not found in what I do, it is found in the one who has died for me. What about wisdom? I want you to go to college. When all of our young go go to college and look if that ain't for you go to a trade school learn something I'm not against education Lord knows y'all been with me on this journey man I'm about ready for my education to be over with but if you pursue listen to how some of our folks you're gonna get all you're ready to go to college in the fall. And I'm telling you, you're going to get in some classes and you're going to get around some guys and some gals who have soul patches and patches on their jacket and they wear they wear like a little pipe out of their mouth and when they speak in that entry-level philosophy class or sociology class that you think they're the coolest thing and they have all the answers and they have destroyed Christianity and the truth is a matter, they're dumber than a box of rocks. So they don't have Jesus. And you're going to go back there and you're going to think that education is everything. And I'm telling you, the Scripture says, education and wisdom are valuable, but every human being dies. Be ready. You know, the only people who are truly prepared to live are the people who are prepared to die. You're going to die just like the farmer. If you don't have Jesus, you'll die in your sins and go to eternal judgment. But if you have Jesus... You may not have all of the wisdom in the world, but you have enough. Amen. Not only wisdom, but wealth. Right? The Bible teaches: lay up not for yourselves treasures in heaven, where rust and rust and moth doth corrupt, but lay up for treasures for yourself in heaven. Right? The Bible teaches that we are joint heirs with Christ. There's an old English word for you. That we are fused together with Christ. And everything that God the Father has bestowed and given to the Son, it belongs to you as well. So don't worry about amassing wealth in this life, it's all going to burn up. Worry about living the kind of life that prepares you for eternity. Hey, listen, this is a side note. I'll give you just one second here. When you're witnessing to people who have a lot of money, people ask me before, sometimes when I'm talking to them, they got a lot of money, they don't have any problems in life. The best entry point about giving the gospel to somebody that has a lot of money is just remind them that they are an eternal being and this is not all the life there is. And you may have a 20 point lead in the first quarter. But when the final buzzer goes off and you step off into eternity, what are you gonna do when you find out that what you thought was helpful was meaningless? Yeah. I'll say to us today, Jesus Christ is the answer for us. Let me just finish up telling you this. I spoke with Connie this morning um, before, and she's okay with me saying this. Uh, you all know I've got my brother and sister-in-law, mom, our family in town, it's so our first Mother's Day. And we're thankful for that. And I, I had talked with Connie and she was, she's okay with me telling you this. Y'all have been with us on this journey for many years. In some of the darkest hours of our life. And when we hold James in our hands and when my wife holds James in her hands, there's not a smile in the world that I've seen like that. And she doesn't like to get in, in front of people, but if she were standing here this morning, this is what she would tell you. Her fulfillment, her joy, her identity is not in James. It is in Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you this morning. In a moment, we're going to bow our heads. Close our eyes. That's what we do here at the end. We're not going to call you out. I just want you to take a moment in here in a minute just to pray. And spend time, you might have gone all week busy, you haven't even talked with God. You might even not even believe in God. Maybe you could just take a quiet minute and think in your own soul about what we've said here today from Scripture. Does this ring true? Is this right? And if there is anything, look, none of these things are bad in themselves until you make an idol out of them. And if pleasure or work or wisdom or wealth sit on the throne of your life. Now is the time. Today is the day to go to the Lord Jesus and to cast that down and to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It will be the best decision you ever made. And for many of us here today as believers, it's a repeating decision we need to make again today to say, you know what? All of these other things that are vying for my attention, they are not as important as Jesus. And I will follow Him until the day I die. I will lay down my, my life. I will pick up my cross and I will follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Maybe just pray there right by yourself. Say, Steve, I'm not even sure how to pray. Just quietly talk with God in your own voice, in your own way. If you're in this room today and you say, you know what? What you said makes sense. I do believe that Jesus died for me and I want Him to be the Lord of my life. I've pursued. I've gone all down all these paths and none of it's working. I want to encourage you right where you are right now, go to Jesus and say, please save me. I have no other recourse. Save me. For many of you in this room today, believers, you've been a, you've been a part of this church longer than I've been alive. But if there is anything that sits on the throne of your heart other than Jesus Christ, you need to cast it down. Whether you're seven or seventy, make Him right now the Lord of your life again. Commit to Him that you'll leave here and walk every day with Him. Stand together with us and I'll sing a couple verses of this. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at com.